1: Download the new Bumble now. I
0: check one, two, three. All right, everybody. Welcome back to the Hunting Gear Podcast. And today I'm joined by what I would call one of my best hunting industry hunting buddy, friends, Mr. Tim Kent. Uh, and one of the reasons why I, I brought Tim on the podcast today is not only he's a good friend, but he is actu- actually very knowledgeable about hunting gear and equipment. He lives in that world every day. He's, I guess, quote unquote, in the industry, what he does. Uh, he works with several brands at his job. So he has seen products come and go for several years, and he's just a good wealth of information. and And although this is kind of a BS session, um, we talk a lot about how we make decisions, and because that's what I am thinking about right now. I just uh, made a, a sleeping bag purchase. I need to buy new boots for this upcoming year. I've had my la- my same pair of crispies now for man, what is it? It's been like four years now. And then uh, I'm thinking about getting a new tent and all of the reasons why the sleeping bag and why the tent. I discuss in this episode. And so I don't know if I necessarily am going to be getting any type of new whitetail gear at this point. I think last year my my setup was really efficient. Really, I don't know whether it was running and gunning. And, I, and now I'm going to throw something up here. I'm going to throw a little asterisk up there. Because there might be, there might be a little bit of a change coming in the in the uh the whitetail world as far as some of my gear is concerned but i'm not i'm not 100% sure of if i really need to change anything else i mean i i got a brand new bow last year i really like it And to be honest with you i don't want to put the energy towards setting up a new bow i just want to tweak my uh current setup and keep going from there i guess i i, I don't know man i uh, I like my arrows. I like my broadheads. I like my my clothing. I like my release. I like my rest. I like my sight. I like my bow, and I don't know, man. If there, I don't think I want to mess around with it too much, just continue getting better with what I currently have. So that's that's my thought process, and I'm sure the the closer I get to summer, I'm gonna see some like a base layer that I might want, or a stocking cap, or some gloves that I might I might want and uh, mess around and. and you know buy some of those those type of items but the big purchases other than I mean I talk about the price of the bag and the tent and my boots in the the podcast but other than that I think I got everything I need I got plenty of trail cameras plenty of SD cards I'll obviously get some new batteries before the season starts but I don't know if there's anything else I, I need or even want so, I mean, obviously, I could, I could start digging and, and find what I want to waste money on, but I don't think there's anything out there that's really going to help me, uh, you know, become more efficient or or swing me in a way where I want a brand new setup or grab a brand new something or other. So, there's that. Other than that, really good episode today. And uh, like I said, Tim, uh, Tim is a, uh, a wealth of information. Uh, huge shout out real quick to two of our partners hunt stand we talk we actually talk about hunt stand in here and like what we would do if we took hunt stand or our mobile mapping devices away from us while on a western hunt or even even in the in the timber here in iowa you know so such a huge uh, like the functionality behind the hunt stand is crazy good and it allows you to journal it allows you to see where deer move It, it just the, be- the best thing that I can say, if you don't have a mobile uh, app right now, a mobile hunting app for your, your phone, you need to go to HuntStand, download it for free, and then you can upgrade to only $30 for the entire year. So that's way, af- that's way more affordable than the other, uh, the, map, the mapping software that's on the, uh, the market today. So HuntStand.com, go to the website, read about all the functionality, and when you do decide to purchase it for only 30 bucks. For a whole year, you can enter the discount code SN20 SN20 and save 20% off your purchase. And next, the average conservationist, huge shout out! I'm wearing. Oops, what am I wearing? I'm just wearing their lo- their gray logo tee. Fits really well. It's very soft, and it's uh, one of those t-shirts that. Uh, fits good in the right spots around the chest and the arms and and then like for me i got some love handles so the love handles don't show up in this shirt that's uh that's a huge benefit the other huge benefit um is the the creator marcus man great guy the owner great guy uh he is also the host of the the um, average conservationist podcast on the sportsman's nation here on the network here and so huge shout out to marcus for um Uh, Not only being part of the Hunting Gear Podcast, but part of the network. Awesome logos, awesome hats, awesome tees. Uh, Go to TheAverageConservationist.com, check them out. And did you know that 10% of all of their profits go to some form of conservation effort? That's a promise that Marcus and his wife made when they started the business. And, uh, man... He's not only talking the talk, but he's walking the walk. So go check out theaverageconservationist.com. NFC10 gets you 10% off. Awesome hats, awesome hoodies, awesome shirts. Go check it out. And uh, that's it for commercials right now. Huge shout out to all of you for taking time out of your day to listen. Really good episode, whether you're thinking about going out west or sticking to the whitetail woods uh, close to home. Let's get into today's episode. All right, on the phone with me today, Mr. Tim Kent. Tim, it is great to hear your voice, brother.
1: Right back at you. Thanks for having me on, man.
0: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So are you having a good day today?
1: Yes, Thursday. It's my favorite day of the week. My kids always ask me, and man, it's like you know, a couple days before the weekend, but there's still work to be done, and I don't know. I, just, I dig Thursday, so yeah, great day.
0: You know, come to think of it, I'm a huge fan of Thursdays, too. I don't yeah. know why. Because for me, uh, as far as my works workload, I have to do a little bit of work on Sunday nights to prep for Monday's uh, podcast launch. You know, all the all the launches for the week and things like that. And then Fridays are relatively uneventful. It's more of a either a recording day or a uh, or a maintenance day. I call them where I like respond to a whole bunch of emails or do social and, and things like that. So Thursday is a good day.
1: Yep. Yep. It's, it's a good one. You can drink and not feel super guilty if you drink on a Thursday.
0: That's a fact. That's a, that's yeah. a, that's a great, that's probably the greatest point that you've made yeah, because like, ah. if you wake up a little tired on Friday, you can just play. That's ah, Friday.
1: Yeah. Okay. Yeah, exactly. All right. Weekends almost.
0: Yeah. You down with talking about hunting, hunting gear and equipment for a little bit. Let's do it. All right. So um, just kind of high level question right out, out of the gate here. And that is, Like for me, it's a comment first, then a question actually. So for me, I like to, you know, I, I look at all this hunting gear and equipment that I, that I would like to have and I go, Oh man, that looks cool. I want that. That looks cool. I want that. That looks cool. I want that and then I would be spending like 10 grand a year in hunting gear and equipment. And that's just not possible, you know, given the budget and and things like that. So just like kind of a high level question right out of the gate here, how do you go about weeding down all the options and, and purchasing whatever you need or maybe don't need for hunting gear?
1: Yeah, man. So here we are, it's the last day of March. We're only a, you know, a couple of weeks away from, Tax day, and if you were to talk to my accountant, you know, working in the outdoor industry, I don't think he would say that I exercise too much restraint when it comes <laughs> to the things that I'm buying for. When it comes to gear, uh, fortunately, I work in the industry, so I, I you know, I guess I get to write some of that stuff off. But um, a lot of a lot of it for me is there's there's a lot of folks like yourself and others who are also out there testing gear, and I feel like there's a community that surrounds that and. A lot of folks i know years ago got a lot of their information from forums and everything else for me it's just a lot of looking at guys that i trust and and talking with folks that i trust and gals that i trust and seeing what their opinion is or taking the opportunity to actually gain an experience myself whether it's at a trade show or at a local pro shop and it doesn't matter really what that thing is i just want to i want to try and just glean a, a little bit of personal experience with it you know there's a couple of um i i've, I've probably i've probably had like 10 different no nah, maybe not 10 but cl- getting close to 10 different backpacks for elk hunting and probably five or six for for white and you know boots and backpacks for me seem to be two things that i'm really persnickety about and I, I turn them over and there's lots of options out there but they're also the type of thing for me that you have to have a personal experience with fit and feel that's not out in the field because that's the worst place to find out that your elk yeah. pack or your boots give you, you know, a hot spot on the bottom of your feet or your heel or something like that. And, uh, you know, you kind of got to put it through the ringer beforehand yeah. and back to the accountant, you know, I think some of the time, I'll think that I'll, I'll have read a bunch of reviews or talked to some friends who have done reviews and land on something and then give it a shot and realize, oh, that thing might not be for me. And then, you know, kind of end up selling it on Facebook or donating it to a friend or whatever, depending upon the situation and then transition to the next one. But it, it feels like it's this, you know, this constant search to find, uh, the the best stuff and and obviously our industry continues to evolve too so yeah there's always new things coming out but man like you said you can't you certainly can't grab it all or else I, I totally would have no money in my bank account nor my retirement <laughs> or equity in my house
0: right right so how how do you go about then uh, shortening that curve Right. Because one thing that I've found is I do my I do my research or I talk to a buddy, they say, do this. And then you go through the whole maybe research process, which includes talking to your buddies or may include um, buying something, testing it out and either liking it or not liking it or liking it enough to put it on, you know, put it through the ringer and taking it on a hunt and then finding out that you don't like it on the hunt. And sometimes you can't, right. We, we, we can't make a decision on something until we put it through what it's actually designed to be used for. So have you found a way to cut that, that curve down at all and and just say, I have a, this is going to sound really nerdy, but I have a process in place for buying hunting gear that I know will benefit me when I do make that purchase.
1: You know, I don't necessarily have what I would consider to be a process in that regard. I try, I I think if there's anything contained within my process, I try and be decisive about it. And once I, once I feel like I've landed on something, I just go for it. And then when I find stuff that I do really like, I don't tend to, to like tinker that much, or, you know, I know guys that I'll talk to them all the time, and, and it's like they got a new rest on their bow, or they got a new sight on their bow, or they're tinkering around with a new broadhead, or they're you know they're always just messing with something. And there are definitely things that that I will be uh, a little bit more forgiving with as far as my decision making process, but there are other, there are other things like, I just don't, you know, once I find something I like, I, I, I tend not to make a move. I'll mess around with other stuff, you know, but I'm, I'm not looking if that makes sense. I don't just kind of like put myself out there just to look, just to look. Right. So releases is a really good example. Like I've been shooting the same, you know, type of handheld release for a while now and I'm really happy with it. You know, I'm in the position where, It's made by a client. So, you know, I I had exposure to it when it was in the development process and I got to present input on that particular product. But honestly, like God's honest truth, that particular release, it's definitely one that I would have put into my hand and utilized on a long-term basis, even if that company wasn't somebody somebody that I was working with. It's just a really, really solid product. And so- What's the
0: name of the product?
1: it's the true fire synapse at okay. least that yeah the handheld and yeah. uh just was really well designed i i just i really really like it and i had shot lots of other handheld brands before that and some of them i liked and some of them i loved and some of them eh, you know and just had had tried they all they all just have a different fit and feel and you know not everything is for everyone but yeah. uh, definitely some that worked better for me than others
0: yeah what year did we uh, go down to texas you remember what oh, year that was
1: before the pandemic so it must have been 2019 i think yeah,
0: 19 or something yeah something like that yeah. and then we uh so you sent me uh, two releases in the mail i believe and uh, before that because that was a media hunt and i still use one of them to this day uh i I, I love it. It's very, it's a, a wrist release, trig, you know, a, a trigger wrist release. And uh, yeah. I, I love it from, uh, what, what was the company name again? I forget. I'm sorry. True Fire. True Fire. Yeah. So True Fire, awesome release. And it's one that, man, there's there certain products that I, I don't know about you, but there's certain products that once I get comfortable with it, A, I stop looking and there might be something else out there. But for some reason I, I stop looking and then I just don't think about that anymore. And I put, uh, all my energy towards other irritations, like where I find, you know, a product isn't specifically working the best for me. And then I, I focus on that for a while and I usually don't come back to it, especially if I'm finding success. You know what I mean?
1: For sure. I, I really do believe that the two products that, uh, people, when it comes to archery equipment, people seem to get the most emotionally attached to are their release and their broadhead. Yeah. Like if they're experiencing success or they feel comfortable with that particular product, like with a release, you know, it's got to be just whatever. You know, yeah. some people like creep. Some people don't like creep. Some people want it to be super crisp. Some people, you know, everybody's just got a different thing that works for them. And once they get it dialed in, it's almost like that particular one, and and they might have t- a backup or even two backups, right? But there there's the one, and that's the one, right? And it's, I don't know that it's like a superstition thing, but it's just what they feel super comfortable with. It's just got the right pull. It's got the you know the the right trigger tension, the right trigger travel, and boom, that works for them. And the, yeah. the, and then with broadheads. It definitely stands to reason that why people get hung up on those is it's, it's that terminal thing. It's yeah. the thing that makes a difference between literally life and death. And when they ha- are having positive experiences with that piece of equipment, they tend not to want to deviate from that because there's enormous risk. And that risk is not necessarily on our own shoulders or something that impacts us back to my thing about boots and hotspots. Like, yeah, you got a pair of boots and they, they give you a hotspot. Well, that's affecting you, right? Yeah. You have a broadhead that's not performing adequately and you shoot an animal. Well that took a different turn. Now it's affecting that animal. And you know, nobody likes to lose an animal. And you know, it's, I think as a general populace, it's one of those things that we take really, really seriously. And we want to be efficient and effective and ethical you know, conservationists and everything else. So we just get emotionally attached to, to that particular product category. Yeah. Deeply, you know, very emotionally.
0: Yeah. I would say from, from a, an emotional standpoint, like you mentioned, for me, it's not so much in the release. I, I like the release because I don't, I'm not thinking about it. Right. It, it works for what I do now. I will agree with you on the broadhead standpoint, like, man and it's not the complete broadside double lung shots that i've made in the past that have dropped deer you know within inside 80 yards or whatever it's the shitty shots that i've put on deer where the broadhead did what it's supposed to do and the deer still ended up dying and so when it, when something like that happens i don't know if a broadhead can necessarily have forgiveness like the, the term we give when we talk, talk about shooting bows, but the, uh, the, the forgiveness in the broadhead allowing me to still get the animal, even on a, a marginal shot.
1: For sure. It's like, what's the best, best bad hit broadhead. Right. Yeah. You know, cause you, when you, when you put that, I mean, a lot of people have said over time when you put that arrow where it needs to be. I mean, you know, you could pop a deer through the lungs with a field point yeah. and, and it's really going to die. Right. Yeah. But it's it's when it the arrow goes errant or you make a mistake and rush a shot, which we're all human and we do, man. Yep. I mean, you know, I I certainly have done it more times than I care to admit. And uh you know, some of these broadheads in recent years, both fixed and mechanical, like they have really upped my personal overall recovery because of blade sharpness or yeah. you know, cutting diameter or, you know, just a just a number of different things that just um, construction that have really made it. So I just feel so much more confident no matter what the situation. I think there's also an element of that where we're probably a little wiser, (laughs) uh, maybe a little more patient and we're not, we're not as adapt or incentivized to go after an animal too quickly. You know what I mean? It's like, Oh, I'll just, I'll just wait. You know, there's obviously exceptions to that. If you're in a, area that's got you know high coyote population or, or wolves or that yeah. type of thing you, know, you gotta treat that a little bit differently but we um i, I don't know I, I just feel like time is cool if i don't yeah. if i don't see anything go down i just wait yeah you know <clears throat> i trust my gut a lot if i feel like i didn't make a great shot then i'm going with that if i feel like i did make a great shot but then or a good shot but then the evidence doesn't support that i just peel out and i wait
0: yeah yeah for sure now let me ask you this um you talked about this release that you have and it being something that you probably don't change or you don't really tinker with a lot because it really fits you and and you like it but are there other products that you may switch up every single year like I know a lot of guys switch their bows every single year um Is there, are there any products out there, whether it's maybe a whitetail side of things or on your Western hunts that you like to switch up and and try every year because maybe the, they don't hold as much weight on the success you may have in the field. Yeah,
1: I'm, I'm, you know, a serial bow turner over. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I, I, I get into a new rig pretty much every year, unless I really have one that I like or a spec doesn't work for me, you know, a brand might want, you know, there's just, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm setting up a new bow right now as a matter of fact. And, uh, you know, I'm definitely guilty of that, but most of the time I can get them to work every once in a while. Like I'll, I'll fight with one. I had a bow two years ago. I shot it for two weeks and I just took that thing. I hung it on the hook. I never touched it again. I went back to the bow that I shot the previous year Yeah, shot it for two seasons and, and that was it. I don't think it was anything to do with the bow. It was just, it was just me The you know, there's something that I maybe do with my hand or there's something about that geometry that just didn't work for, for my form or my idiosyncrasies. And, um, you know, I had to, I had to shelf it, you know, back to what I was saying earlier, like when I, when I was like on with that bow, it was so, so consistent, so accurate. But when I wasn't, which is not the vast majority of the time I'm flawed. I'm human, right? I, yeah. I don't do everything the same way every time, no matter how hard I try. Like it just, I just couldn't, I couldn't make it do what I wanted to do. And I, I mean, I, I tuned and tinkered and, you know, retuned and bear shaft tuned and everything that I would brought, tried to broadhead tune everything I would normally do to get that bow to just totally get doped in. And I, I couldn't, so, yeah. and I just, I didn't want to get to the point where it started to mess with my mind or give me target panic or make me feel less confident in my overall shooting or my shooting ability. It was just like, okay, that piece of equipment doesn't, doesn't work for me. I gotta, I gotta put it in timeout.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: um, Other than that, man, you know, I have this, I have this really bad habit with tents. Like I, 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 you know, I, I, my, my wife is like, why are you buying another one man tent? And you you, like never use one man tents anymore when you're hunting out West or whatever I do. And the other thing that I find myself like messing around with more than I probably should, or like little camp stoves, you know what I mean? Like just always tinkering with those. Um, yeah. Yeah. I seem to, I seem to turn that stuff over for Western hunting. Probably. I don't know. It's it's just like no risk. Right. I mean, I suppose someone could come on and argue and say, well, there is risk with your tent. What happened if it leaks, you could die, you know, and that's, those are all valid points. Right. But like, you know, this back to research, like the stuff that I'm researching and learning about and whatever else it's like, you know, I just, I sort of break down specs and what I'm trying to achieve and space, especially like with a little one man tent, you know, what's, how big is the vestibule? Does it have two vestibules? Does, you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. You know, all those things, because I've been, you know, I was in Colorado years ago and we had just absolutely miserable weather for several days of that hunt. And I remember when I bought the tent, I'd bought the this, the one man tent that I was using that year, several years before that. And this was like right when floorless tents were starting to become a big thing too. And I'm not opposed to floorless tents. It's just, it's an example, but yeah, you know, we had high winds and snow and rain and just just we ran the gamut weather wise that particular week and uh i was so glad that i had a big vestibule because i you know i could sit in my tent and like cook on the edge and you know at night i could keep all my gear stored under the the vestibules and whatever else and that was something that for me like i just researched and i I wanted to make it what was accessible from the inside of the tent on both sides dual zippers and you know that came with a little bit of extra weight overall not not much uh, because of this particular tent but like it was a little bit of extra weight and i was willing to make that sacrifice and try and cut that weight out somewhere else for or just deal with the extra, whatever it was, four ounces or eight ounces of, you know, weight on my back overall, you know? So I knew that area was going to have abundant water. So I think what I decided to do was carry a little less water, you know? Okay. Easy to cut eight ounces out in water.
0: Yeah. Man, I'll tell you this. um, You brought something up that I've been debating for two years now. So this past year, I hunted from my truck on on my Nebraska and South Dakota trips. Or there was a couple nights where we got a hotel, okay? Uh, and then drove back to the piece of public and walked in from there. So this year, I'm going in to... Uh, I've already made the decision. I'm, I'm going in, and I'm gonna I'm gonna go back to what I did two years ago, and uh, two and three years ago, and that is hike in two miles, set up a tent, and and then hike out another mile to where this uh, to where we had encounters with all these good mule deer. So, the last couple years I've been out there, the the conditions have been really dry, right? So I've had to pack my water in with me. And my, and this is going to sound crazy for some, you know, for some people, this may not sound crazy because there's no, there's no, um, comparison point, but for, let's say a, a Western hunter, when I say this number, they're probably going to be like, damn, that's heavy. That's a heavy pack. But my pack probably weighed somewhere between 65 to 70 pounds. And that included water that I had to carry in with, with me. And so, when I got there, you know, not not really an issue. Um, it's not the weight that was the issue uh, or what was going to be the issue because I have a I actually have a three-man tent. I, I, I bought that several years in 2014 because I pretty much had to um, due to an old tent failing, and then it was the only tent available. And then um, an, an older sleeping bag that doesn't compact, it takes up a lot of space basically, and it's not as – heavy. So approaching this year, I said to myself, how, how am I going to be able to take more water in with me because of these drought like conditions and where I hunt and, uh, water not being, uh, available like, you know, some other hunts that I've been on. So I, I say to myself, number one, I need more space in my pack and, and I would like it to, to weigh less. So there's two things that I, that number one, took up space in my pack and number two, um, weighed that I, I knew that I could cut and that was sleeping bag and tent. So just like you, um, I've, I've, this year, I've been doing a lot of research on one man tents to try to drop that down and, um, and I just now got the sleeping bag that I wanted from Western Mountaineering, and uh, man, that those sleeping bags are badass. Not gonna lie, made in America, which makes me feel good about myself, um, and and just knowing that these bags will last—if you take care of them—they'll last the rest of your life. So, products like that. So, so I know that when I I'm not necessarily looking to cut weight, but I'm looking to carry more water in. And I think those two products are going to allow me to do that. And so um, I still have to figure out the clothes situation, the layering situation, because I always bring one extra top with me just in case it gets really cold. Um, And, but other than that, man, I I think like I've, I've got it down. I I know what my goal is. I just have to pull the trigger on some of these, uh, on some of these products. Now, these products, and this is where the next question comes into play. These products, like I, I'm sure you know, uh, uh, the Western Mountaineering backpacks are not cheap. Or, excuse me, the sleeping bags—they're not cheap. I spent 650 on my sleeping bag, uh, and then the tent that I'm looking at is 550 for a one-man carbon. It's like it's it's the bee's knees. I mean, it's it's a it's a, it's a one-man carbon uh, pole ultralight like. Both of them combined probably weigh three pounds, three or four pounds, right? And I'm cutting out probably three or four pounds in total, uh, maybe five pounds in total by just replacing those two, two packs. So how do you go about weighing that cost versus function, right? Because I always hear the term, I always hear the term, you, you get what you pay for uh, quality r- price reflects quality. How do you make your decisions in those two categories?
1: It's, it comes from a, di- a few different angles. Part of it is I want to, I want to make an investment into, mm-hmm. into equipment that is going to last me a long time. I don't, I don't need, especially with things that could potentially save my life. Yep. Right. You know, sit, because you can't, you, you can't underestimate that and then undervalue the equipment that goes along with that. Right. right? It's, it's like this thing, whether it's a jacket or, you know, a synthetic fiber garment or a wool garment or that type of thing, like that thing could, could really be the difference literally between life and death. So, you know, I tend to like look at that piece of equipment and go, okay, what's the life expectancy of this? Like you were saying, and then, You know, how much do I intend to use it over what duration of time? And so that, that will really aid in my particular decision-making process. Like I have the same down sleeping bag that I've had since like 2000 and I don't know.
0: Yeah.
1: seven probably same, same bag still, you know, still use it still great. You know, I've, I've since bought another couple different bags. Cause like, you know, we started, I have this perpetual problem of wanting to experiment, but my go-to, especially if it's colder, like, yeah, I'm, I'm using that, that particular bag. And I spent about what you are talking about on that, on that bag at that time. I think it was a little bit less expensive, but not by much. And yeah. I'm, I'm glad I made that investment and I, I do my best to care for it. You know, I do my best to not overwash. I do my best to make sure it's treated well and, you know, throw it in the dryer with a couple of tennis balls to keep keep the down fluffed up. I don't keep it compressed over the winter or anything like that. I keep it in the big bags and, and that type of thing. So for me, it's going back to what you were saying earlier, doing research. I, I just, I did some research. I found what I thought was going to work for me and what a lot of other folks were talking about you know and, and it came down between a couple of different brands and there were just there were just little things that knowing my personality and knowing things that knowing how i sleep like like that was another component of it like i didn't want to you know and i'm not trying to no pun intended bag on this brand but like you know big agnes awesome brand like they make they make great stuff you know and everything else but at the time their tents like didn't have any insulation on the on the bottom side well like i'm a i'm a side sleeper back sleeper stomach sleeper all over the place sleeper right it just depends upon the situation and you you know i i want to be able to feel like super comfortable and there's probably guys that feel otherwise but like you know not having to have that pad roll with me because if you're in a mummy bag that changes the that, you know, back yeah. to the fit and feel thing. Like there's a there's a fit and feel thing with a mummy bag. It, you know, and it's kinda like why Nemo went to that spoon design. So it's got those contours in it and and everything, you know, and it's got these gills so you can um regulate temperature and everything else. And that, that you know, cool design. Is yeah. it the bag for me? I don't know. I haven't pulled the trigger on one. I I bought one for my wife. She loves it. But like, you know, I hear other guys they're like, yeah, that bag's great. Takes up a little bit more space, you know, lightweight, but doesn't keep me as warm as this bag did or whatever. But but they like the comfort that comes along with it. So, yeah, you really have to identify the things that are, you know, know, in an order of priority for you and then, you know, take a few of them, put them side by side and go, Okay, I, I think this is the one. And if it turns out to not be, then toss it, you know, move on to the next thing, do your research again, maybe even go back to that original list and say, okay, these were maybe the three that I, you know, I narrowed it down to Uh, number one, didn't end up working. Let's try number two. And that, those, those Western mountaineering bags, like, man, they look so sweet. I haven't, I haven't pulled the trigger on one, you know, anymore when it comes to Western hunting, like you don't bivy as much or backpack camp or whatever the heck you want to call it. Um, we, 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 you know, we hunt out of the truck more often than not, or, you know, have a base camp that we're running out of and it's, it's worked for us. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so I'm not as hot to trot on that type of stuff and, you know, eat real food and that type of thing. But, uh, yeah. you know, that's, uh, that <laughs> food actually, Dan is one of the things that I'm always messing around with, uh, year to year, whether it's for whitetail hunting or, going out west i'm just constantly trying different different brands of food and different snacks and bars and butters and all sorts of stuff i mean and i I try and do it in advance so that way there's no surprises on the stomach while you're out there because it's the last thing you need
0: yeah dude i'll i'll let's that's a perfect transition because when you think about it um depending if you're going on an out-of-state hunt and you know if it's uh if you're hunting out of a hotel or or your truck, maybe for whitetails, you might have access to a gas station or a grocery store, or or you might be able to pack a cooler and things like that. But when, like, for example, when I go out West, um, especially when I go out into remote places, even though I am out of my truck, like town is still a long ways away, the closest gas station or could be 40 miles away. So me, me, either packing a cooler or d- digging around the, um, digging around the, the, I don't know, the, the, fr- the freeze dried meals, right. Uh, type, you know, type products. What do you look for in, in that? Cause it's something that I've, I've kind of found a brand that I really like right now and haven't been messing around too much with anything else. I went, you know, I used to be the mountain house guy, but, then I realized that for some reason, and I don't know about anybody else, Mountain House makes me drink more water, and it also clogs me up in the back end. And then I feel literally like shit because it, I, I get constipated when I eat their food.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think if you look at their sodium count by comparison to some of the other brands, it's considerably higher. I know my one buddy, he says he can just taste it. He says oh, it's just- yeah salt like to me you know and he yeah. says that all the time and so for me i i look at consumability as far as flavor is concerned and you know I, I, a few years back I, I went gluten-free so that adds all sorts of additional challenges to the freeze-dried meal yeah. conversation yeah um but you know the benefits holistically were way better for me to do that but um but that narr- that narrowed down my options considerably, and you know, so uh, there's some there's some meals from like Peak that are gluten free that I really like, you yeah. know, and they taste really good. There's some meals from Heather's Choice that are gluten free. I mean, I think all Heather's Choice is gluten free, but that I that I really really like, you know. And then there's there's actually two Mountain House meals or Backpackers Pantry. They both have the same one, and. Um, that I still really like. And the, and the taste and the flavor is good. And I try, I try and give myself enough diversity across my food for a trip that, uh, I'll want to keep eating. Cause that's the last thing you want to, I, or at least I want to do is have like a lot of calorie, uh, consumption and then, you know, by my body, but then not refuel yeah. adequately. Cause it, Cause it totally affects your energy. And, I'm usually the type of person where the first few days of a hunt like that, my appetite really is depressed. I don't know, I don't know what it is. I, I'm, you know, I'm usually kind of pretty high anxiety the first few days of a hunt too because I'm sort of transitioning away from my family and businesses and that type of thing. And I, I often wonder if those two things go hand in hand. But then once I kind of get into, let's say, day three or four or whatever, my appetite starts to ramp up you know, my head space starts to clear. I start to get more focused on the task at hand, you know, and then, and then I may have another little dump out day later on. Um, but you know, generally speaking, it's just, you know, there's just like your body does these amazing things, but like, I just, I I look, I look at taste, man, if I can consume it. And like you said, if it doesn't make me like constipated or, or have to drink more water or, the other thing I look at too is how much water does it take to reconstitute that meal? Yeah, you
0: know is it, that's a fact.
1: Is it, you know, is it eight ounces, twelve ounces, sixteen ounces? I mean, you know that that can make a considerable difference, especially if you're on a backpack hunt in a place that has, you know, limited water accessibility. You have to you have to take that into consideration. I mean, there are times where I'll bypass, you know, a meal like that altogether in favor of you know, a concoction of different bars or, you know, I'll bring in some, you know, some tortillas and some other stuff to, to use. It just all depends upon the situation, but, you know, kind of taking that a step back and looking at things from a more macro level, it's kind of part of my holistic decision-making process for where we hunt and, and that type of thing too, is, how, how is it going to look for food? What's our accessibility to resources by way of groceries? How far do we have to go? Where's a, where's a meat processor where, you know what I mean? And like, that's, that's how I
0: yeah
1: really make my decisions in conjunction with the folks that I hunt with, like where, where are we going to go? And then we try and have all that other stuff sort of dialed in and in, in, in advance. And, you know, I don't, I don't know, man, after a while, I get tired of eating meals out of a bag, but, yeah. but it And why I don't, I don't do it as much anymore. We just, we work from the truck. We pre cook all of our meals, freeze them, throw them in a Yeti cooler or whatever. And then, uh, you know, on day one, you take it out, you defrost it. You, you know what I mean? You you cook it or, and then once you get later on in the hunt, everything is pretty much defrosted in the cooler. So it's just like, okay, what's next? You know, Yeah. I take the same approach there. You know, my wife and I will make up all those meals. And I just think to myself, like, what am I going to be able to stomach the the entire duration of doing this? What do I never get sick of, e- you know? And that's I take that across the board, both whether it's a you know freeze dried or dehydrated meal or something that we've pre prepared. Like, what can I constantly eat without having any you know disruption or yeah. lack of appetite for it or whatever? I mean, even at home, there are certain things like you know we'll cook and. I'm good for leftovers for like one extra day, maybe two if I'm lucky. But if we make too much of it, I'm like, Oh shit. That again.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so. Oh man. There's certain, there's certain meals that I can, I can eat the like over and over and over again with no problem. But then there's others where the leftover, the leftovers are just like, all right. Uh, even the kids are like, okay, dad, come on. I, I don't want to eat spaghetti yeah. again. You know, like that yeah. kind of stuff. But I'm going to pivot here and I want to talk whitetail stuff. Um, whitetail gear here in a second. I, um, I, let me just ask you this when it comes to whitetail hunting and whether you're mobile or whether you go to a, a, a fixed stand location or out of state hunt and, or, you know, a local hunt. Is there a, or is there any type of product that you bring along with you that you don't necessarily need, but out of comfort, you pack it in anyway.
1: Out of comfort, huh? Or
0: or, or comfort. It's just like I don't. I don't want to call it a security blanket, it, or you know, just something that's like, eh. Uh, you know, I, I may not need it, uh, or I, I use it every hunt, but I don't need it.
1: Oh gosh. Uh, well, I think my my gut reaction to that is binoculars yeah. but i often say to my friends like i'd rather not go hunting than forget yeah. my binoculars yeah. you know like literally i i just i, I just rely i, I... young man that used to work with me years ago we joked around all the time about like i'm just gonna start wearing a binocular harness around all the time like just you know wake up in the morning and it's just part of my
0: outfit
1: t-shirt like, <laughs> on hat you know shoes pants whatever binocular harness and so you know cuz there's so many i think just being a hunter like there are so many things that I'll see from afar and be like damn it i wish i had a better look at that right now yeah you know so yeah. uh, i i think that's my one you know my one big thing that i that i just i feel like i just cannot effectively be out there uh, without you know? yeah. yeah like other stuff like i don't get hung up on calls if i don't have a grunt call or anything like that Ah, whatever you know what i mean like a yeah. bunch of necessity things of course i need release i need a bow i need arrows if i'm hunting with a firearm i need the gun i need bullets but you know there's a lot of stuff in my pack that it probably doesn't need to be in there but i i do i do bring it i i think anymore the other thing that i I end up using a lot as a, an extra battery for my phone. I, I you know what I mean? Like a, a charger, battery. something to charge. Yeah, a charger, yeah. Yep. Yep. Exactly. That's, that's become one thing that's critical. Like, you know, I, I always have it no matter, no matter where I'm hunting or what I'm doing, whether it's a two hour whitetail hunt in the afternoon in October or, you know, a, a hunt out West and I'm, I'm way in the back country, you know, when we hiked in, like I always have that, these days yeah
0: that's a great that's a great uh point there because you know obviously for me i don't think my wife would feel comfortable if i said i will talk to you in seven days right like i'm
1: i've done that dan and it is i I, that hunt that i was talking about sorry to interrupt you but uh that hunt that i was telling you about where we had all that mixed weather i was actually with um outdoor writer friend of mine mark malachick And we were, we were in Colorado, we were about three and a half miles in. So, you know, not super, super deep, but then we were like, you were saying earlier, like going a little bit further from there and everything else and no cell phone reception in the area that we were, it was, it was really bad. Like the closest cell phone reception was an hour away. And at the time, my kids, my kids were younger. You know, my wife is at home taking care of them and everything else. And after the fact, you know, he, you know, we ended up, finishing up our hunt. And after the fact, he was, he was preparing notes for an article that he was going to write about, about our trip. And he said, what was the hardest thing for you to do? What was the hardest thing about this hunt? And my response was not being able to connect with my family. And he's like, well, you know what, but, but, but that, uh, you know, he kind of like stammered through it. Like, well, that's not really the answer that I want. But for me, that was the hardest thing. Of that particular trip because i don't i don't think i talked to them for like like six days and yeah. then i went to town talked to them for you know a few minutes and then um i you know i think i sent them a video or something like that and then we were back in the mountains i think we hunted for 10 days or something like that yeah and uh you know that that's always tough because my wife and i talk all the time whether we're texting or emailing or whatever you know she works she works with me now so we're we're together a lot and we get along really really well and we communicate a lot so when you have that that change to that that changes your sort of operational tempo and you're not used to it it just it feels foreign to me so uh and I like communicating with her I like knowing what's up at home I like that type of stuff and sometimes that can be a detriment to a hunt for sure yeah. but done it I do I do still do it and I I will often tell her before I leave especially if I'm going to a new place like I might I might not talk to you for a a while and she and she knows you know what I mean and 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 she's cool with it but it's hard it's definitely hard and I can see how that could be something that really spooks people from actually you know chasing down some of these opportunities
0: yeah well and on top of that right so the phone and the battery charger i get that right i, I pack in a it, it's a it's a pretty big battery that i can get maybe 4 days maybe 5 days of charging off of on one on one cell phone okay um so that that is covered now on top of that the the cell phone now i'm going to ask you a question how different would your hunting style be if I took away, I think you use hunt stand, right? Yep. Okay. So what would happen? Like how different would your hunting style be if I took hunt stand away from you?
1: (laughs) I think any, wow. We're we're so reliant on technology or at least I'm, I'm still so reliant on technology. I was the guy that sort of fought the GPS way back when, you know, I want, and, and this is when we first started elk hunting And, um, the place that we were consistently hunting, which now we can't even get a tag for anymore, that's, that's a whole nother podcast, but, um, it was, it was generally pretty easy to navigate just the way the topography was like you could, you could gut it, you know what I mean? And uh, worst case scenario, you'd end up on a forest service road and you knew which direction to go to get back to the truck, you know, either based on the topography or what your compass said. And so, um, you know, so I was I was really that guy that staved off the GPS cuz there was a part of me that was like, no, I need to be able to continue to you know, work off of my woodsmanship and I and I feel like if I if I, you know, interject a GPS into this equation, that's going to dull my wits for the, for for being able to navigate, right? And use topography right. and light and all those things. And so I fought it for the longest time and then you know the gps ended up ending up in my pack and i used it a little bit not a lot but then once we went to smartphones and we had apps forget it dude i don't even know if i could find my way in my yard anymore like (laughs) i mean it's it's like i i I, i'm surprised i don't use like maps to get to the grocery store yeah Uh, you know so it's a huge component for me anymore and i and i like it especially you know especially with the ability to sort of make map annotations and notes and then going and comparing weather information whether it's whitetail hunting or out west um you know unfortunately anymore it's really hard to consistently hunt spots unless you're going to otc units but um I just feel like if I have data and I can work off that data, it helps me make better decisions. Yeah, And so I'll often go back and look at some of that stuff for at the end of the season, comparatively look at, well, why was this deer in here? Or I'll look at scouting camera photos. You know, when I get a, a good deer on camera, well, what was the wind doing that day? And sometimes that's a pain in the ass because you have to go back and find out what that weather situation was. And I, I found a lot of common threads of consistency across that stuff. And, were it not for were it not for the apps and were it not for technology like Huntstand, it'd be difficult for for me to do that. And it would I think it would be difficult for me to be effective anymore. But that's it's a it's a byproduct of, you know, allowing it to come into my equation where before I just you know, I used to keep journals and notes and, yeah. you know, all sorts of stuff. Excel spreadsheets and everything else. And now it's all housed in the supercomputer that is in my phone or yeah. excuse me is in my pocket every you know what I mean? It's yeah. Like, yeah. This stinking cell phone that we have is more powerful than the first computer that sent him into the moon.
0: Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah, crazy. Like, that's crazy.
1: We take it for granted, right? You know.
0: Have you so, ever been have you ever been lost on a hunt before? Um Or I wouldn't
1: say or maybe like, got a
0: little nervous about yeah, what direction I mean, you were going.
1: Lost lost but yeah yeah there was there i can think of two times where i got into spots where i was i was a little turned around yep for sure and like i i gauge topography a lot and yeah. that can be that can be a mistake and so i can think of these two instances where i misread the topography and i thought i was in one spot and i, I really wasn't in there um you know, and and that's kind of scary. Actually, I can think of three. I can think of another one when I was, when I was a kid with my dad, I think we were tracking a deer and that, you know, was typical, Kept my head down, he kept his head down, you know, tracking this deer and next thing you know, we're in, we're in a spot and everything looks the same and we're like, oh, rut row, how do we, yeah. how do we get out of here? So yeah. yeah, I, I think a few times I've, I've felt pretty lost. Never anything felt like I was going to wig out, but definitely that made me nervous enough that I respected it.
0: Yeah. Man, one time I was, when I used to live down in Alabama, they had this huge national forest down there. And I had a weekend when I wasn't working where I decided to go buy a turkey tag and um, I, I went turkey hunting. And so I parked at the road, I jumped in, heard a turkey gobble, went over another ridge and followed this this Turkey for just a little bit thinking, okay, well, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to go just walk the same path right back to my truck. And I, this was before the age of hunt stand and all the other apps that are out there. Right. I couldn't, I, it was, I had a flip phone at this point and I probably left it in my truck to be honest with you along with my water and everything like that. And so it was one of those days where you couldn't really tell the direction because it was so overcast Right. Yep. I mean, even even putting your hand over the ground to try to make a shadow to see where the shadow's coming from, you know, was difficult. And so I went over there. I chased this turkey. Turkey didn't come. And then I turned around uh, and I started walking back in this straight line to what I thought was my truck. And I went over the hill. I said, it must be the next one. Went over the hill. Must be the next one. Went over the hill. I think it was like six hours later. I was still walking around in this in this uh um in this big chunk of woods, and i i I was lost and I was getting fucking scared, like straight up scared and so finally, I heard a dog bark, and so I started walking in the direction of where I heard that dog, and I hit the road and I looked down about a hundred or so yards, and there's my truck and so it was just this freak occurrence. Of me walking in circles probably. I don't know. It was it was it was freaky. And now, you know, we take that situations like that for granted because all I have to do now is pull my phone out, pop up, you know, hunt stand and, and there there I am. And and knowing, you know, the lines and what lines you can and can't cross. And you know, out west, not everything's marked. So so I could be on a piece of public and maybe hop a fence if I didn't have my phone with me. And then you'd be like, well, I'm technically trespassing, but you don't know, right? So that, you know, like the the reason I asked that question, original question was because if you took that away from me, I I don't know. I would have to have hard maps with me at all times. And just there's certain scenarios where you just have to say, no, I don't want to risk it or I do want to risk it in going over to this next ridge. And you could be, hell, you could be trespassing and you don't even know it.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think if I were lost, I'd worry less about trespassing. Yeah, being
0: lost. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah,
1: I think just a natural state of mind to fall into. It's just I just you know, and then you have the really good excuse of, and people abuse that, so you take that into the equation. But you know, it's like if you're sincerely lost. I, we were in Colorado, um, in 2017, and we encountered a dude who was literally like miles oh, wow. from where he went the woods. And he was, he was hitchhiking down the highway, just worn slick. And he just, he had gotten lost and, you know, he had, had to cross over private and whatever else. And that was, that was a really good example of what can happen. Yeah. You know, if, yeah. uh, if you really get, um, if you really get disoriented. But that yeah that's a that's a very helpless it's a very helpless feeling I yeah. mean, for yeah. that reason i think that's why the advent of like you know the the garmin system you know the in and that type of thing it's really great and back to what we had talked about earlier about communicating with families and stuff that's that's another thing like the in reach is awesome even if it's just some text messages and stuff it just it, it provides a great way to to stay in touch and gives you a gives you an out if if things get really weird or worse yet if somebody gets injured and you're in stuck
0: you yeah eh, that's a fact that's a fact well yeah. tim man we, we could sit here for another hour and, and bs about all this stuff but uh, i want to say thanks for taking time out of your day to hop on and uh chat with me and uh, share your experience with gear and things like that so uh thanks man appreciate it
1: yeah likewise it's always fun to get on with you dan